Get the unmissable news stories of the day. This is the Beijing Hour. Examining the events that impact and shape China and the rest of the world. This is the Beijing Hour, one hour of news and information brought to you every weekday. Now here's your host. Shane Bigel with you on this Tuesday, February 27th, 2024. You're listening to the Beijing Hour, coming to you live from the Chinese capital. On today's program, China's Beijing Tianjin Hebei Integrated Development Initiative is marking 10 years as a national strategy. The Palestinian president accepted the resignation of the territory's government, and polls show there is not much public support for striking doctors in South Korea. In business, assessing China's efforts to become a strong cyber power. In sports, figure skating and curling results from China's national winter games. In culture and entertainment, a new museum showcasing China's 3,000-year-old Yin ruins. Now checking the day's top story. It's been a decade since China upgraded the Beijing-Tianjin-Hebei Integrated Development Initiative into a national strategy. It aims to build a world-class city cluster with the nation's capital as its core and lead the coordinated development and reform of the region. Authorities have given a briefing on the achievements over the past 10 years. Biran has more. According to the members of the National Development and the Reform Commission, the coordination of transportation, environment control, and industrial development are the three biggest parts of the strategy. In the past 10 years, the free,、uh, policy framework has been the foundation of the strategy and has accomplished much. Specifically, how to implement the strategy and how to collaborate between cities within the region have been figured out. Like the barriers for the companies to relocate was removed to speed up their business. For Beijing, it has made a lot of breakthroughs in moving the non-capital functions out, so as to treat the urban ills such as traffic jam and pollution. So far, a lot of big enterprises, government agencies, hospitals, and universities have been moved to the Xiong'an New Area, and over 3,000 manufacturing bases in Beijing has also moved to Hebei and Tianjin. The Xiong'an New Area is developing as per a very well-made urban plan.、Uh, its、uh, infrastructure, road, transportation network, and the public space are all under full construction, and it aims to build a world-class, high-quality model city. Meanwhile, the collaboration between Beijing and Tianjin has deepened. In the future, the two cities will be playing to their complementary advantages in innovation and manufacturing. That was B ran on some of the highlights marking the 10th anniversary of the Beijing Tianjin Hebei Integrated Development Initiative. And for more on the national scheme and how it shaped the everyday lives of people living in this part of the country, here is Young Shanhan with details. As the capital city of China, Beijing has a significant and a central role. However, less is known about Tianjin and the Hebei Province, which make up the region surrounding Beijing and are somewhat. Overshadowed by the capital, the Beijing-Tianjin-Hebei integration plan seeks to change this and create a world-class city cluster with Beijing as its heart. Beijing is known as a political, educational,、uh, economical, and cultural and technology R&D hub, while Tianjin is known as Northern China's logistic center with one of the busiest ports in the world. And Hebei Province is also known for its heavy industry, including steel production. The integration plan rules for different areas in the region to focus on their own comparative advantages, so that duplication is avoided, areas complement each other, and synergies 
are maximized to rebalance the economy and optimize the value chain. The plan also seeks to reduce income gaps in the region, curb pollution and ease congestion pressure on capital Beijing. After a decade of development, it has achieved notable outcomes. Well, I can use the three key words to describe the achievement of this grand project. A rebalanced economy, a cleaner environment, and improved public services. The total GDP of the region nearly doubled and reached an impressive of 10.4 trillion yuan. That is about 1.4 trillion US dollars. Beijing has made remarkable strides in its commitment to environmental sustainability by effectively eliminating close to 3,000 general manufacturing and polluting enterprises, leading to a more sustainable industrial landscape. Parts of the manufacturing enterprises moved to Hebei, with its proportion surging from 54.6% in 2014 to an impressive nearly 80% in 2021, thereby upgrading its industrial structure and creating more jobs. While Tianjin, on the other hand, has been actively building a modern industrial system led by intelligent technology. With a total of 77 national-level enterprise and technology centers, it now ranks third among major cities in the country. The high-speed railway network in the region has built a, a one-hour traffic circle around this region, with more and more people choosing public transport. Pollution has reduced. In just a few years, a total of 11.25 million households in Hebei villages have replaced their coal-fired boilers with electric and natural gas heating. Last year, the average concentration of PM2.5 in Beijing, Tianjin and Hebei dropped 50 percent. As for public services, in 2023, the public health system improved further and got integrated to enable people in the three regions to see doctors more conveniently. With over 7,000 hospitals settling their medical insurance with social insurance cards from different regions. Also in the past 10 years, schools and kindergartens enhanced the regional cooperation to extend the coverage and improve the quality of education in different regions. That was Yang Shanhan looking back on the positive outcomes brought by the Beijing Tianjin Hebei Integrated Development Initiative in the past 10 years. A press center for China's upcoming annual legislative and political consultative sessions has opened in Beijing. More than 3,000 journalists from home and abroad have registered to cover the two sessions, which start next week. Uh, Jiaxi Jiansai with the Chinese People's Political Consultative Conference, the nation's top political advisory body, sees the national meetings ahead as a crucial platform for spelling out his ambitious vision. Also a Tibetan Buddhist monk, he's spearheading efforts to bring religious education in with the Times. Guo Tianxi has more. Jiaxi Jiancai is a highly respected tutor at the Sarah Monastery in Lhasa. Together with the Gaden and Daebon Monastery, the temple is recognized as one of the most important in Tibetan Buddhism's Gelu school, known for its historic role in the governance of Xizang. Sarah Monastery was built in the Ming Dynasty more than 600 years ago. The founder, Qiangqing Qujie, was invited to meet the Chinese emperor and awarded the title of imperial teacher. We preserved lots of gifts from the emperor. 
and tanka and murals are all highly precious cultural relics. Led by reformist masters like Jiaxi Jiancai, Sarah Monastery is the first to open its hundreds of years old debate courtyard to visitors, giving them an insight into the mysterious learning traditions of Tibetan Buddhism. But now he wants to open the doors even wider. We have a 108-part Chinese Tibetan bilingual Tripitaka presented by the Yongle Emperor of the Ming Dynasty, which is not open to the public, and a huge Tanka, which is only displayed every year at the Shotan Festival. I hope to build a special exhibition hall for the Sarah Monastery. In line with the autonomous region's socio-economic development, Jiaxi Jiancai says the management and academic systems at the monastery should also be reformed. Our study and living conditions have improved a lot. We have libraries and multimedia classrooms for monks, and they don't just learn the scriptures, but also history, fine arts, sculpture, Chinese, and English. I've always encouraged my students to study hard, cherish opportunities, and carry forward the compassion of Buddhism. Among 2,000-plus members of the 14th CPPCC National Committee, nearly 70 represent the diverse religions of China, including Buddhism, Taoism, Islam, Catholicism, and other religions. That was Guo Tianqi reporting. Coming up, the Palestinian president accepts the government's resignation. Strengthening the foundation for a future powered by innovation where high technology, high efficiency, and high quality converge. These three pillars are set to propel China's new productive forces and supercharge the Chinese economy into a new era of development. New industries, new models, and new growth momentum. Join CGTN as we guide you through the new productive forces poised to redefine the Chinese economy. Ten minutes past the hour. It's been reported that Palestinian President Mahmoud Abbas has accepted the resignation of Prime Minister Mohammed Shatea's government. Uh, they'll continue their duties until a new government's formed. Shatea cites the need for changes after the conflict in Gaza ends. Uh, David Biller with the Associated Press has more from Jerusalem. This mass resignation is aimed at paving the way towards a shakeup in the PA. It also shows that the PA wants a role in running post-war Gaza. That's also what Washington wants. Now, we don't know yet who is going to be uh, picked as the replacement prime minister, but the expected choice is Muhammad Mustafa. This is a man who has held key leadership positions in the PA. He is currently the senior economic advisor to President Abbas. He also uh, runs the Palestinian Investment Fund. Most Interestingly, perhaps, he worked for the World Bank in Washington for more than 15 years. So he is a known quantity there. He is a, uh, a technocrat. But there could be huge obstacles. Namely, we don't know if Hamas or Israel would, would want to work with him. Uh, the Palestinian Authority is, is very unpopular among Palestinians, and President Abbas isn't going anywhere yet. So it would be a limited shakeup, at least, and um, it could be a step in the right direction, but perhaps not enough. We had exchanges of attacks between Israel and Hezbollah. It started with Hezbollah downing an Israeli drone that was flying over Lebanon. Uh, later, Israeli fighter jets uh, targeted Hezbollah targets deep inside Lebanon, the deepest yet or among the deepest yet since the uh, war in Hamas began, uh, killing at least two Hezbollah members. 
Hezbollah retaliated with uh, 60 rockets aimed at the Golan Heights, um, and Israel then retaliated back, went after the launch site as well as another uh, Hezbollah member who was targeted and killed. So this really reflects the heightened tensions in uh, northern Israel on the border, and Hezbollah has been saying that it could end these near-daily attacks if there were a ceasefire in Gaza. Israel, on the other hand, has said that these attacks will only continue. And in fact, Defense Minister Yoav Gallant said that they will escalate attacks even if there is a ceasefire. That was David Biller in Jerusalem. U.S. President Joe Biden says Israel's agreed to halt military action in Gaza during Ramadan. He also expressed his hope that a ceasefire could be secured by next Monday. Israel previously threatened to launch a ground assault on Rafah if Hamas did not release hostages by the Muslim Holy Month. The warring sides now appear to be close to a deal during negotiations in Qatar. After the talks, Hamas leader Ismail Haniyeh said that his group had embraced mediator efforts to find an end of the war and accused Israel of stalling while people in Gaza die under siege. Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu has also expressed his readiness for a deal. Meanwhile, UN agencies have been delivering much-needed aid to a hospital in Rafah as Israel continues its offensive. Uh, World Health Organization workers at uh, Al-Ada Hospital say staff members have been coping with the heavy workload with at least 50 baby deliveries and 25 C-sections a day. The Pentagon's described the death of a U.S. airman who set himself on fire outside the Israeli embassy in Washington, D.C. as a tragic event. Spokesperson Major General Patrick Ryder says Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin is following the situation. I know the Air Force has confirmed the airman's death. Uh, they do plan to provide additional information 24 hours after next of kin notifications are complete. Uh, it certainly is a tragic event. Uh, we do extend our condolences to the airman's family. Air Force Service member has been identified as 25-year-old Aaron Bushnell of San Antonio, Texas. He set himself ablaze outside the Israeli embassy to uh, protest the Jewish state's military operation in Gaza. The airman broadcast the incident live over the internet, shouting that he'll no longer be complicit in genocide. He was transferred to a local hospital with life-threatening injuries after the flames were put out. Uh, but uh, this is not the first protest incident at an Israeli embassy. A woman set herself on fire outside the Israeli consulate in Atlanta, Georgia in December in protest over the Gaza conflict. UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres has warned that nations and their governments are ignoring the rule of law and the rules of war enshrined in the Geneva Convention and the UN Charter. Addressing the opening session of the Human Rights Council in Geneva, Guterres also called for urgent reforms of the Security Council, accusing it of paralysis and failing to compel countries to cut weapons stockpiles. Evangelos Sipsis has more from Geneva. Strong comments indeed, and it's the language that we're quite used to now from Antonio Guterres. From Ukraine to Sudan to Myanmar, the Democratic Republic of the Congo and Gaza, parties to conflict are turning a blind eye to international law, the Geneva Conventions, and even the United Nations Charter. The Security Council is often deadlocked, unable to act on the most significant peace and security issues of our time. The Council needs serious reform to its composition and working methods. He also mentioned, of course, that the day, as the days are going by, our world is becoming less safe 
and uh, that uh, the people, he doesn't understand how a lot of, some of the members actually of the Security Council uh, will justify killing, torturing, injuring, sexual violence about uh, against humans. And now uh, some of the members are actually uh, under mining the international human rights uh, council and how they're not taking it into consideration he pointed a lot of fingers without of course mentioning who or what but his language was quite strong he said that we need to work all together again we need to revise how we work we need to stick together to be able to fight uh, different issues that are happening around the world when it comes to human rights. Uh, and he specifically mentioned, uh, he spoke a lot about actually on Gaza and Israel, and he said that we need to sit down again and we need to figure, uh, focus on a different way of how we can actually tackle these uh, human rights violations that are taking place in the Gaza Strip. The speech from Wang, Wang Yi, uh, he did speak about what is going on in Gaza. He did mention that uh, the world, as Guterres said, needs to work together to be able to uh, fight against human rights violations, how there needs to be a proper way of governing human rights around the world. He specifically said that China is uh, playing a significant role and a large part in, in preserving global human rights governance. And he said that China has been doing it and will continue to do it. As a responsible country, China plays an active part in global human rights governance. We have contributed efforts to the conclusion of a series of important international conventions and declarations on human rights. The vision of building a community with a shared future for mankind represents a shared aspiration of people of all countries. It also injects strong impetus into human rights protection worldwide. And he also mentioned quite similar to what Guterres said, that the council needs to be putting in its work, its fair work without any injustice, to be fair towards all the members that are on the council, that they need to work together to make sure that all parties will be, will be receiving the same amount of attention and will be uh, taking into consideration their issues. That was Evangelosipsis on the UN Secretary General's call for reforms of the Security Council. The UN's top courts wrapped up six days of public hearings, examining the legal consequences of Israel's occupation of the Palestinian territories. The case comes less than a month after a separate dispute was initiated in the same court by South Africa, which accused Israel of committing genocide in Gaza. Trent Murray reports. In the final day of oral arguments, some of the Palestinians' staunchest allies arrived in The Hague, the League of Arab States, Organization of Islamic Cooperation and the African Union, all pushing for an end to Israel's occupation of Palestinian territories. Turkey used its presentation to call out what it sees as historical injustice in the region. Israeli-Palestinian conflict did not start on 7 October 2023. The conflict is not about a certain Palestinian faction or group. The conflict dates back to an earlier century. But the real obstacle to peace is obvious. The deepening occupation by Israel of the Palestinian territories. This case is being closely watched. It follows a request by the UN General Assembly for the court to issue a so-called advisory opinion on the legality of Israel's decades-long military control of the West Bank, Gaza and East Jerusalem. China's legal team arguing for justice for the Palestinians. 57 years have passed since Israel began its occupation of the OPT, regardless of the duration of the occupation. The unlawful nature of the occupation 
and the sovereignty of the occupied territories remain unchanged. Mr. President, justice has been long delayed, but it must not be denied. Already this case is one for the history books. More than 50 countries have presented their arguments. It's the largest number of nations to participate in a single ICJ case since the court was established all the way back in 1945. While some may hope this case could pave the way for Israel to end its control over the occupied Palestinian territories and even the eventual dismantling of Israeli settlements, Actually arriving at that point will likely prove difficult. The court's advisory opinions are non-binding, as some of Israel's allies, including the United States, oppose the case as being brought forward by the Palestinians. Under the established framework, any movement towards Israel's withdrawal from the West Bank and Gaza requires consideration of Israel's very real security needs. We were all reminded of those security needs on October 7, and they persist. While Israel has chosen not to take part in the oral arguments of the case, in a written submission, it said the court's involvement could be harmful in achieving a negotiated settlement. It's expected the court will take roughly six months to issue its opinion on the case, a verdict which could have ramifications right across the region. That was Trent Murray reporting. Russia's criticized Denmark's decision to end its investigation into the Nord Stream pipeline explosions as close to absurdity. A series of explosions ruptured the Nord Stream pipelines in the Baltic Sea, carrying Russian gas to Germany in September 2022. Kremlin spokesman Dmitry Peskov said Denmark recognized the blast as an act of deliberate sabotage, but decided not to go further with the investigation due to its ties with its allies. You know that in the early stages of this investigation, we repeatedly contacted the Danes, asking for information about what happened. We were denied this information. We could not take part in any investigative actions in the investigation itself and we cannot receive any information now. Sweden also ended its probe earlier this month, citing a lack of jurisdiction, but shared evidence with German investigators who have yet to publish any findings. Germany said it's still interested in solving the case. Coming up, low public support for striking doctors in South Korea. Dive into news like never before with Deep Dive, the podcast from CGTN Radio. Join our global reporters for captivating stories and thought-provoking conversations. Search Deep Dive on your favorite podcast platforms and get ready to dive in. It's 23 minutes past the hour. Medical personnel remain on strike in South Korea, despite an official ultimatum urging trainee doctors to return to work before Thursday. The unrest, which has been raging for days following the government's announcement of a plan to increase uh, the number of medical students, is uh, ongoing. Protesters are calling it unfair, but recent polls suggest up to 75% of the public supports the move. Martin Lowe has more from Seoul. Well, there's absolutely no sign of either side softening their position. South Korean government has said to the doctors they have three days until February the 29th to return to work or they face having their licenses to practice medicine suspended and possible prosecution in the courts. Now, so far, 
Around 9,000 of the country's 13,000 trainee and junior doctors have walked out. Many have handed in their resignations. The situation is already critical at a number of hospitals. Some have cancelled up to 50% of operations. Others are turning away accident victims. Local media is reporting that a woman in her 80s suffered a cardiac arrest and died after being refused treatment by seven different hospitals. Other patients claim that they have to go from one hospital to another until they find a hospital that will treat them. Now, people are angry about this. Some of those patients have been quoted as saying this hard-line stance by both sides, the government and the doctors, means that they're playing hostage with people's lives. Now, the government here has ordered uh, military and police hospitals to open up and treat the general public and it's told all medical clinics that they have to stay open for longer hours to try to in some way address this critical and growing shortage in patient care. Well the main point at issue here is that the uh, South Korean government wants to recruit another 2,000 trainee doctors. That's about a 60% increase on the existing numbers. Now, the government says that's necessary to prepare for the future uh, with a, a constantly aging population here in this country. But the junior doctors say first they need to address their pay and their career progression during their careers. Um, most doctors here in South Korea are paid out of private medical insurance. Around 90% of all medical care here is private. But the juniors say simply recruiting a raft of newly qualified physicians will only create a scramble for people who want to work in the most well-paid areas. Here, that's things like skin care and plastic surgery. And that does nothing to address problems in other disciplines like maternity and childcare, which will remain uh, understaffed. Now, uh, public sympathy, yes, is mixed. There's, there's really perhaps a majority of people who are backing the government in this. And a lot of people feel that actually the medical profession here is well paid, certainly after a few years in post and certainly uh, compared to the average wage here. However, uh, the junior doctors say at the beginning of their career, they're having to work uh, 20 hours a day, 100 hours a week, and for a salary of only between 1,500 and 3,000 US dollars. They say they're overworked, underpaid, and perhaps worst of all, unheard. That was Martin Lowe on the deadlock over South Korea's proposed increases in medical school admissions. Farmers protesting in Belgium have clashed with the police near the European Council building in Brussels. Uh, they sprayed officers uh, with liquid manure and set fire to piles of tires. Uh, they also lined up tractors down main roads leading to the European Union headquarters in Brussels, where the bloc's agricultural ministers were meeting. Police in the Belgian capital say 900 tractors have entered the city. Officers have used water cannons to defend the EU headquarters from behind concrete barriers and barbed wire. Farmers are angry at red tape and competition from cheap imports from countries where the high standards of the EU do not have to be met. Some of them describe what they see as the slow death of working the land. 
We worry a lot about our future. We don't really have plans for our future. Prices are volatile, so we don't really know how to invest, and buying a farm now has become almost impossible. I think a lot of European organizations are here. It's not only in Belgium that things are bad. It's time for the EU to take the farming world into account. A similar demonstration turned violent near a, a summit of EU leaders earlier this month. At 28 past the hour, Beijing down to minus 3 Tuesday evening. Wednesday will be cloudy and 6 degrees. Nanchang's at 3 overnight, then moderate rainfall and 9. Elsewhere in Asia, Islamabad's at 8 this evening, then cloudy and 23 on Wednesday. Vientiane's down to 22 degrees, then sunshine and 33. Phnom Penh's at 25 this evening. That's followed by a light rainfall and 35 degrees. Uh, in Africa, Nairobi is getting a light rainfall and a high of 26 on Wednesday. It's time for a short break. So far this hour, China's Beijing-Tianjin-Hubei Integrated Development Initiative is marking 10 years as a national strategy. The Palestinian president accepted the resignation of the territory's government. And polls show there's not much public support for striking doctors in South Korea. Shane Begumathib, stay with us here on the Beijing Hour. Experience the musical classics of the East. Mingle with the masters of Chinese music. Music Talks. Witness the sound of antiquity and modernity. We all enter this world with a universal greeting. We then learn to speak. Though our languages, cultures, and traditions may differ, we still share one thing in common. We have hope for humanity and the world. Hear the difference with CGTN Radio. Join our global network to connect with the world. CGTN Radio. Hear the difference. I love you. 我爱你. This might be the easiest way to say I love you, since there are so many other romantic expressions. No matter if you're a rookie, 你好, or a sophisticated learner, 我来北京五年了, there is definitely something that will interest you. Check out Takeaway Chinese, a world that starts with 你好. Examining the events that impact and shape China and the rest of the world. This is the Beijing Hour, one hour of news and information brought to you every weekday. Now here's your host. Shane Bigham with you on this Tuesday, still to come. In business, assessing China's efforts to become a strong cyber power. In sports, figure skating and curling results from China's national winter games. And in culture and entertainment, a new museum showcasing China's 3,000-year-old Yin ruins. Contact us, you can email radio at cgtn.com or follow our X account, formerly Twitter, at CGTN Radio. But first of all, with the day's headline news, here's Tian Lu. Thank you, Shane. The Chinese Foreign Ministry has urged the U.S. to abide by the principles of a market economy and fair competition. Spokesperson Mao Ning made a comment on Tuesday after a U.S. company issued a statement about Huawei. 
China's development and innovation will not be hindered by barriers set by other countries. Opening up and cooperation are the core driving forces of the semiconductor industry. China is one of the world's major semiconductor markets. To purposely destabilize the global supply chain will hinder efficiency and innovation, and will not be in the interest of any party. The U.S. should support healthy competition and support companies from various countries to promote the development and progress of science and technology through healthy competition. Recently, U.S. firm Nvidia called Huawei a major competitor in several categories, including AI chip production. Chinese Foreign Minister Wang Yi has stressed that all parties should protect people's right to survival and development as a priority. Wang attended a high-level segment of the 55th session of the United Nations Human Rights Council via video. The Chinese foreign minister said the world is becoming more turbulent, crises and conflicts keep flaring up, and deficit in global human rights governance is widening at the moment. He called on all parties to put people first and safeguard people's interests, which is a basis and goal of the human rights cause. Chinese Commerce Minister Wang Wenchao has met U.S. Trade Representative Catherine Tai. The two sides met on the sidelines of the WTO 13th Ministerial Conference in Abu Dhabi, United Arab Emirates. The two sides had professional and in-depth exchanges on jointly promoting practical outcomes of the 13th Ministerial Conference, as well as bilateral and multilateral economic and trade issues of mutual concern. Wang also expressed China's grave concerns over U.S. tariffs on China and Taiwan-related questions in the economic and trade fields. Hungary's lawmakers have approved a bill on Sweden's bid to join the North Atlantic Treaty Organization. With Monday's ratification, Hungary became the last of the 31 NATO member countries that approved Sweden's bid to join the military alliance, following the green light from the Turkish parliament on January the 23rd. Sweden and Finland applied to join NATO after the Ukraine crisis escalated in February 2022. Their accession required the unanimous approval of all NATO members. Russia says it will ban gasoline exports for six months beginning on March the 1st. Russia imposed a similar ban between September and November last year in order to tackle high domestic prices and shortages. Only Belarus, Kazakhstan, Armenia and Kyrgyzstan were exempt. Malaysia's new king and queen have made their inaugural visit to parliament in Kuala Lumpur after taking the throne. Sultan Ibrahim Iskandar, a billionaire ruler of Johor State, was sworn in as the country's monarch in late January under a unique rotating monarchy system. He entered the parliament building with his queen by his side following an honour guard ceremony. I would like to reiterate here that I will not entertain any requests from any parties that try to shake the stability of the country's politics. Malaysia's rotating monarchy is a distinctive feature since gaining independence from Britain in 1957. Under the system, nine ethnic Malay state rulers take turns as king for five-year terms. Rescue efforts are still underway near Peru's iconic Machu Picchu and the surrounding communities as mudslides have destroyed the roads leading to the citadel over the past few days. Reports say two people are missing and 17 others have been injured.
The private Transandinal Railroad has suspended operation to the area, with authorities estimating a two-day delay for track clearance. Built in the 15th century, the Inca citadel was a religious sanctuary for the dominant culture in South America and is Peru's most visited tourist hotspot. Chinese meteorological authorities say the current El Nino weather pattern has peaked and will likely end around April. The China Meteorological Administration says the weather event that began in May last year has been an El Nino of moderate intensity. It has been weakening since last month. Data shows that sea temperatures in January were higher than previous years in the north of the Pacific, Indian, and Atlantic oceans. The High Court in Bangladesh has issued an order to protect the country's critically endangered wild elephants from exploitation. Animal rights groups have welcomed the court's decision as young Asian, elef- Asian elephants can no longer be captured and taken into captivity. Previously, logging groups would use the animals to hold logs under licenses issued by the forestry department. Some of the animals have also been used for begging, circuses or street shows. Bangladesh used to be a major home of Asian elephants. Now there are only about 200 left due to poaching and habitat loss, with about half living in captivity. Thank you very much. That was Tian Lu with Headline News. This is Shane Begum in the Chinese capital coming up in business, assessing China's efforts to become a strong cyber power. The Beijing Hour, your window on China and the rest of the world. 37 past the hour now. Turning to business, and here's Wang Zihang. Thank you, Shane. The Chinese mainland markets closed higher on Tuesday. A-shares resumed gaining with AI-related stocks leading the way. Timothy Pope has more. Uh, the uh, Chinese stocks moved back uh, towards making gains. The Shanghai Composite uh, closed back above 3,000 points. It added about 1.3%, while the uh, Shenzhen component uh, was up about 2.2%. Now that the markets have regained this level, uh, we'll need to see what kind of appetite there is among investors to keep pushing higher. Uh, the changes to market rules that we've seen, uh, like the clampdown on short selling and on big institutions uh, net selling at the opening and the close of trade, uh, now that's helped get the recovery going. A lot of the focus was on tech stocks, particularly AI, uh, a sub-index that was tracking that sector shot up more than 5%, really was seen uh, as a bit of a vote of confidence uh, in the uh, AI development industry as a whole. That was Timothy Pope in Shanghai. Elsewhere, in Hong Kong, the Hang Seng Index gained more than 0.9%. In Japan, the Nikkei was almost flat. Tuesday marks the 10th anniversary of China's efforts to become a strong cyber power. Over the past decade, the country has made substantial progress in its digital development. China now has the largest fiber broadband and 5G networks in the world. It is the second largest in the world digital economy. According to the Ministry of Industry and Information Technology, there were more than 3.3 million 5G base stations across the country by the end of 2023. For more, Jiang Shi spoke with Professor Liu Chi from Beijing Institute of Technology. Professor, China's digital infrastructural construction is leading in the world. How does that help promote supply chains and benefit economic development? I would like to specifically talk about the industrial application of the generated AI and Internet of Things, which is IoT, as the two rapidly evolving fields that marry together will have huge impact on industries. 
Uh, the combination of these uh, generated AI and IoT has en enormous potential, for example, to creating new products and services, automating the manufacturing processes, improving the efficiency. Generated AI can use to uh, create a, like virtual product, uh, prototypes of the services of the devices, allowing the manufacturers to test and optimize their designs before producing the physical uh, ones. And also can use to generate it. Uh, uh, they can, can use to generate the, the data, such as the sensor readings. Can use to train the machine learning model to detect anomalies for the machines or predict the future behavior. Another thing is that you can create a personalized experiences, personalized product for you users uh, from this generative AI and IoT te techniques. Analyze user data such as the wearable devices, smart home systems, connected vehicles can create customized recommendations, alerts, and, not and notifications for the end users. That was Professor Liu Chu from Beijing Institute of Technology on how China's digital infrastructure construction has promoted the country's economic development in the past decade. The Chinese Ecology and Environment Ministry says the country's carbon emissions trading market has been running smoothly since its launch two years ago. The national market has become the largest in the world, covering more than 2,200 key emitters with annual carbon dioxide emissions of 5.1 billion tons. The market has chosen the power generation sector as a breakthrough and successfully completed two compliance cycles. As of the end of last year, the market's trading volume stood at 440. 40 million tons, with a turnover of nearly 25 billion yuan, or about 3.5 billion US dollars. The ministry says the interim rules on the administration of carbon emission rights trading will come into effect on May the 1st. The rules aims to aim to regulate and supervise carbon emission rights trading activities and ensure accurate emissions data and prevent falsification. Global pharmaceutical giant AstraZeneca has announced Shanghai as the location of its fifth global strategy center and said the company will continue to invest and work closely with Chinese partners. Wu Lei spoke with AstraZeneca CEO Pascal Soriot to discuss the company's long-term growth plans in China. With the aging population, more and more attention is being paid to the new medicine, new treatment and technology such as artificial intelligence. So what do you see as opportunities and challenges with this regard in the Chinese market? There are many uh, unmet medical needs in China, of course, but also China can contribute to innovation globally by coming up with new products, new technologies. In that regard, artificial intelligence is playing a big role. And I think China, again, can play a leadership role globally because artificial intelligence relies on data. You have to have data. And there are, of course, millions of patients in China, good clinical um, trials. And we can collect all this data and use it uh, to come up with new medicines new treatment, but also to treat patients better through the use of artificial intelligence. There was AstraZeneca CEO Pascal Soriot discussing his company's long-term growth plans in China. Chinese carmaker BYD's mid-sized model, the SEAL, is one of the seven finalist for the car of the year at the 2024 Geneva Motor Show. It was the first ever Chinese entry into international competition. Johannes Blascherberger spoke with auto industry insiders and executives to find out more about BYD's presence at the Motor Show. The car of the year 2024. 
Among the seven finalists, the BYD SEAL, the first ever Chinese entry into the competition. The BYD SEAL is a great car, but it's basically a kind of performance car. It's focused on the acceleration and performance. After a long COVID break, the Geneva Motor Show is back and completely transformed. But apart from Renault, all of Europe's big brands pulled out, leaving a vacuum that was quickly filled by Chinese firms like BYD and MG Motors. Uh, today, the actors uh, that are present here, the brands, they reflect the changes that are happening into, into this market. So uh, I think uh, we have here a great panel of, of the future stars of, of, the, of the automobile market. Although BYD took over Tesla as the world's biggest EV maker, many Europeans still haven't heard of the Shenzhen-based manufacturer. We were the biggest brands you never heard of. And now we have a presence here in Geneva. We are sponsoring Euro UEFA 2024. So after the summer and with these motor show activities that we launch, everybody will know us. As well as major car makers staying away, visitor numbers were drastically lower in Geneva this year compared to previous events. But BYD's sponsorship of this summer's Euro football tournament will give the brand a huge amount of exposure on TV screens across Europe. That was Johannes Plescherberger on China's automaker's presence at the Geneva Motor Show. U.S. authorities have allowed Chinese passenger airlines to increase their weekly round-trip flights between the two countries from the current 35 to 50. The U.S. Transportation Department says the new policy will take effect on March the 31st. Since September last year, the two countries have been accelerating the recovery of flight schedules. The number of round-trip flights increased from 18 per week on September 1st to 24 per week on October the 29th, finally reaching 35 in November. The 2024 edition of the Mobile World Congress is underway in the Spanish city of Barcelona. It's the world's leading trade fair for mobile technology and related industries. This year's Congress centers on the future-first concept, highlighting the importance of uniting industries, continents, technologies and communities to realize the potential of the future. The event features around 2,400 exhibitors, including nearly 300 Chinese companies such as China Mobile, Huawei, ZTE, Xiaomi and iFlyTech. Artificial intelligence applications and advancements in 5G and 6G technologies are among the major topics. Zhao Dong is a Chinese exhibitor at the event. With the maturity of the standards, terminal ecology and the key technologies, we will usher in the first commercial year of 5.5G in 2024. This means we will have even more powerful network performance, giving our consumers faster internet speeds. Meanwhile, the large bandwidth and the low delay of 5.5G can play an important role in the industrial scene, taking digital intelligence to a whole new level. Chinese companies are also showcasing innovative products and solutions that are highly effective, green and smart. The organizer of the event expects around 95,000 visitors from all over the world to attend the Congress. And finally, Baodi district in Tianjin has opened a new road for intelligent, connected vehicles. The little over 11-kilometer road connects the high-speed train station of Baodi and the Beijing-Tianjin-Zhongguanzun tech town. A smart bus traveling on the road, making five stops, can complete the journey in just 18 minutes at a speed up to 70 kilometers per hour. The road is equipped with a cloud 
control system that enables coordinated sensing, planning, and decision making for the intelligent connected vehicles, along with real-time monitoring of the vehicles. All right, thank you very much. That was Wang Zhang with business. You're listening to the Beijing Hour. Coming up in sports, figure skating and curling results from China's national winter games. Sideline Story brings you all things sports related. The hottest topics, latest events, juiciest stories, all with a very personal take. Subscribe to Sideline Story Podcast for heated sports discussions covering events that are happening in China and around the world. 48 past the hour now. Turning to sports, here's Brandon Yates. Thank you, Shane. Beijing's Jin Boyang has won the men's figure skating gold at the China National Winter Games. He finished with an overall score of 267.49 points. Jin said he was happy to have completed all of his jumps. I did not execute every move smoothly, but I succeeded in finishing all the jumps. So I think the event was a good test for me. I was not in good form and felt very tired here. But I am satisfied with my performance, as I did my best during the competition. Elsewhere, Hebei defeated Fujian 5-4 in the men's curling final. On the women's side, Beijing edged Tianjin 9-5 for curling gold. Chinese swimming sensation Chin Haiyang has received his very first nomination for the prestigious Laureus World Sports Awards. Chin has been shortlisted for the highly coveted World Breakthrough of the Year Award. He shares the spotlight with the likes of Jude Bellingham, Josh Kerr and Coco Goff. The likes of Lionel Messi, Novak Djokovic and Simone Biles are among those nominated for this year's awards. Messi was the 2023 winner of the World Sportsman of the Year Award. He is joined by Djokovic for his three tennis Grand Slam titles in 2023. Pole vault world record holder Armand Duplantis and World Athletics Championships triple gold medalist Noah Lyles also make the cut. On the women's side, Aitana Bonmati, Sharika Jackson, Faith Kipiegon, Shikari Richardson, Michaela Schriffen and Iga Sviantek have been nominated. The South African rugby team and Spain's women's football team, both world champions, are up for team of the year. They are joined by Manchester City, Europe's Ryder Cup team, Germany's men's basketball team and Red Bull Racing Formula One. In tennis, Andy Murray came back from a set down to defeat Denis Shapovalov in round one of the Dubai duty-free tennis championships. Murray, refusing to be written off, recorded just his second win in 2024, winning 4-6, 7-6, It was also Murray's 500th win on a hard court, making him only the fifth male player in history to achieve that milestone. After the match, he said he probably doesn't have too long left in tennis. Uh, people read a lot into what I say on the court sometimes, and um, it's not always rational. Um, yeah, but everyone asks me about it all the time anyway. So um, yeah, I like I obviously still love competing. I still love the game. But yeah, it gets obviously harder and harder the the older you get to compete with the young guys and keep your body fit and fresh. So um, yeah, not not easy. Uh, I probably don't have too long left, but. I'll do as best as I can these uh, last few months, yeah. China's Zhang Zhijian was knocked out of the tournament by second seed Andrei Rublev. The Russian fought back from a set down to win 6-7, 6-2, Wu Lei has won the 2023 Chinese Footballer of the Year award. He finished with 510 points from a voting body made up of professional sports journalists. Representing Chinese Super League champion Shanghai Port, 
Wu contributed 18 goals to the team's title win last season. It also ranked him at the top of domestic strikers and second in the overall scoring list. Zhang Linyan won the Best Female Footballer Award. During her stint with Swiss club Grasshopper Club Zurich, she won the league's Golden Ball Prize as the division's best player. She has since joined English women's Super League club Tottenham Hotspur on loan. Premier League strugglers Everton have had their 10-point sanction reduced to 6. The news comes after their appeal against the penalty was partially accepted. The immediate effect of the decision is to lift Everton from 17th up to 15th place in the Premier League. This leaves them with 25 points, 5 above Luton Town, who occupies the last relegation spot. The Premier League explained that two of the nine grounds were upheld by the appeal board. The club also issued a statement saying it was particularly pleased with the appeal board's decision. And finally, reports claim Real Madrid have reached a verbal agreement with Alfonso Davies over a transfer from Bayern Munich. The deal is expected to be completed in either 2024 or 2025. Los Blancos have been courting Davies for much of the season so far. They view him as one of their priority transfer targets alongside PSG's Kylian Mbappe. The Canadian's contract at the Allianz Arena runs until the summer of 2025, but talks have not progressed over a new deal. Madrid's efforts have been led by Chief Scout Uni Calafat and Director General Jose Angel Sanchez. They allegedly asked Davies not to renew his contract at Bayern to make the process of a transfer smoother. All right, thank you very much. That was Brandon Yates with Sports coming up in Culture and Entertainment, a new museum showcasing China's 3,000-year-old Yin ruins. The Beijing Hour. The Beijing Hour. The Beijing Hour brings you an hour of comprehensive news and information from both China, China, and the rest of the world. Rest of the world. A mix of news, sports, and entertainment. In-depth analysis of the day's big stories, as well as the most comprehensive business of the day. The Beijing Hour. The Beijing Hour. Your very own window to China and the rest of the world. 53 minutes past the hour now. Turning to culture and entertainment, here's Yang Guang. Thank you, Shane. The new building of the Inshu Museum at the Inn Ruins opened its doors to the public on Monday. The location is a UNESCO World Heritage Site held as a spiritual symbol of the Chinese nation in Anyang, Henan Province. The new building has an expansive exhibition area of around 22,000 square meters, showcasing nearly 4,000 items. More than three-quarters of these rare exhibits are on public display for the first time. The over 3,000-year-old Yin ruins are home to the archaeological remnants of the ancient city of Yin, the former capital of the late Shang dynasty. It's also the first capital site in Chinese history to be documented and substantiated by archaeological evidence. Spring festival celebrations are a global event. This year in the U.S. city of Oakland, the celebrations were of epic proportions. Several celebrities and U.S. politicians joined in. Mark Neal has more. In Oakland, California, a community gathers for the Lantern Festival, marking the final day of the spring festival holiday. The clothing shop Sasha's House says sales of traditional Chinese clothing are the best in years. Embroidery in the front, but in the back we have this very magnificent uh, dragon on the back. And a lot of people are looking for something like this because it is the year of the dragon. The dance group Tribe, which includes members of Chinese, Filipino, Vietnamese, Austrian and Punjabi heritage, all perform a Lantern Festival tribute. We channeled in our, like, our cultures 
and what we noticed when we were like discussing what we we're gonna do is that we had a lot like our our backgrounds has a lot and had a lot in common with each other Just across the bridge in San Francisco, the city closes the holiday with a massive Chinese New Year parade. There are at least 125 units marching, dancing, waving, doing whatever as they head down this street. It will stretch at least two kilometers long. It is the largest parade of its kind outside of Asia. Thousands of enthusiastic attendees cheer on participants that include everyone from law enforcement officers to politicians. I think it's going to be a great year. I'm hoping everyone has good health and, um, and prosperity and a, just a wonderful new year. Double duty. This parade is so great that I enjoy it so much, I do it twice. Come through first as the sheriff of San Francisco, then right after we're done with that, I change out run back to the San Francisco Police Department Lion Dance team. We have a whole bunch of deputies and officers in that, and I go and do the, uh, the dragon head for that. This year's Grand Marshal for the parade, Hollywood actress Aquafina. This is, is such an honor, such an honor to be in San Francisco. I'm having a great time. All right. The San Francisco Chinese Chamber of Commerce says since the COVID pandemic, business has steadily been picking up. The group says this year's parade turnout is the biggest in many years, something important for both business and spirit. It's not only about the business this uh, weekend, it's about generating that excitement factor that people come in and come in, eat, they, they shop, they, they walk around, you know, so it's, it's just a, a matter of uh, community coming together. Celebratory ambiance is bringing people together, bringing new people into Chinatown and being able to celebrate the beauty of Chinese culture. That was Mark New on Chinese New Year celebrations in Oakland, California. Online novels, games, and the film and television works have developed and seen Chinese culture going overseas. Data shows that as of the end of 2023, China's online literature market has risen above 40 billion yuan, more than 5.6 billion US dollars, up 3.8% over a year ago. The online literature IP market size jumped to over 260 billion yuan, a year-on-year increase by nearly 10 billion yuan. Online literature users reached 537 million, which means half of Chinese internet users read online literature. Meanwhile, the market size of the overseas online literature market now exceeds 4 billion yuan. New technologies like AI translation have contributed to Chinese online literature going overseas. And thank you very much. That was Yang Guang with Culture and Entertainment. We're at uh, 58 minutes past the hour, Beijing down to minus 3 on Tuesday evening. Wednesday will be cloudy in 6 degrees. Nanchang's at 3 overnight, then moderate rainfall in 9. Elsewhere in Asia, Islamabad's at 8 this evening, then cloudy in 23 on Wednesday. Vientiane's at 22 overnight, uh, then sunny in 33. Phnom Penh dips to 25 degrees. Uh, tomorrow has a light rainfall in 35. In Africa, Nairobi will see a light rain with a high of 26 on Wednesday. Kampala's at 21 overnight, then a light rainfall and 25. Juba's down to 26 degrees, then overcast and 40. And finally to Oceania, Port Vila's 24 this evening, then some rainfall and 31. Apia will have a bit of rainfall Wednesday with a high of 31 degrees Celsius. And that's it for this edition of the Beijing Hour. Making news today, Beijing, uh, China's Beijing Tianjin Hebei Integrated Development Initiative is marking 10 years as a national strategy. And the Palestinian presidents accepted the resignation of the territory's government. On behalf of the staff, this is Shane Bigham in the Chinese capital, hoping you'll join us for the next edition of the Beijing Hour and open a window to the world together.
Take Away Chinese, where you can take some Chinese away and experience progress day by day. Take Away Chinese, we will promise you a difference. Welcome to Roundtable, coming to you live from Beijing. From Beijing. Roundtable. 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 Connecting China and the world. We bring you fun and timely discussions about what's affecting our lives everywhere, every day. Tune in to Roundtable, where the East meets the West, and understanding is the goal. From north to south, east to west. People in China are chasing their dreams and leaving their mark. Want to know how they beat the odds and made a difference? Footprints brings you the true life stories of their journeys. 